0: Let's pray together. Lord, if there's any doubt in this room at all that you are who you say you are, that you are faithful, that you can be trusted, Lord, we pray that that, that would be, the doubt would be illuminated and there would be light shed in the darkness, that that we would all receive the truth, that you have always been faithful, you've always provided for us, you've always cared for us, always, and that today we can rest in that promise, that we can receive it and Lord, we pray that we would be bold enough to leave this space and proclaim it in new ways. Proclaim it ways we've never proclaimed it before. With our hands or our feet or our minds or our creativity, our intelligence, or our embrace, Lord, that you've given us to extend to the world. We pray for those who are in need now, those people who are heartbroken. We know that you have the power to bring healing and actually bring more beauty uh, from darkness than was there before, uh, before the darkness sought to to win and so god we pray lord that you would just you would continue to just press in on those those of us who have have any any skepticism or pessimism about about your plan for this world or what will take place lord that we would just hear that resounding truth that you are the conqueror that you are the one who has all of our needs cared for and that you are going to carry us forward into the future you are the way god and so with that, Lord, we praise you, and we pray this, uh, not just saying the words amen, but, but saying as a congregation the words yes and amen. Let's say it together. Yes and amen. Please have a seat. Today, we say a yes and an amen. It's easy to say that after an incredible band. These guys are yes and amens, each one of them. Each one of these guys. Each one of these guys. You know what? Uh, I, remember, uh, I remember meeting Josh at the apartment complex, and I I, we didn't have a drummer. We would set it up every Sunday at the movie theater, and we'd set up the drums. And we'd say, if the drums are there and no one's playing the drums, sooner or later someone's going to get the point that, that we need a drummer. And so then I saw him carrying the bags across the apartment complex, and I remember walking up to him and I said, Josh, would you play drums at church? And I wasn't really leading music, so I was kind of bold. And he said, Yes and amen. I sure will. Each one of those people is one that, that saw an opportunity to serve. They stepped up. They said, You know what? God has a place for my talents here in this church. And that this worship will be more beautiful, this place will be more beautiful if I say yes and amen in one new way in my life. This series, 40 days of prayer, has been a big yes and amen. Uh, there have already been three people um, that have said yes and amen uh, in terms of following Jesus for the first time in their life, or to actually say that they want to use, they want to be baptized, which is a symbol of them saying yes and amen in their life. It's a sign uh, that the baptism itself. Uh, is just such a beautiful moment. So we, can't, we don't know what day that's going to be. We all say if there's enough people wanting to get baptized, we'll just do it. So, so uh, let us know if that's the yes and amen that's, that God is growing in your heart. But I'm curious to, to what you think uh, God is calling you into in these coming days. So what is that thing that, that maybe you, you feel like you're, you're about to speak? remember one of the people who said they were going to get baptized— they told me out on the lawn, and they said, I want to be baptized. And I said, is this the first time that you're saying this to anybody in your life? And he said, yes. And I just remember there's this, this moment when things come into being. Uh, God created the world by speaking, didn't he? God, God created the heavens and the earth by speaking. Uh, things change when we say, say things, when we say a yes and an amen, when we actually articulate, turn to someone and say, you know, I, make, I made a decision. This is what I'm going to do. Um, I used to hide when I would decide to make a big decision. I used to try to make that privately. And uh, for a long time, I thought that was the only way to do it. You know, you had to keep it to yourself if you were going to make a true transformation, if it was really from the heart. But Actually, God calls us into community. God calls us into a place where we can speak that transformation and it can be real. So I I encourage you to do that. Uh, We we do that through the small groups. 40 days of prayer small groups are every single night of the week now. We have almost, except for Wednesday. So we skipped Wednesday, but we have Wednesday in the daytime. And they're having great time. Um, and one of the big uh, themes of this 40 days of prayer is an, an un- understanding that the greatest challenges of our life are in front of us. They're not behind us. That you might be thinking, well, I had some pretty great challenges. You don't know what my story is involved. Now, I, I would say, just like I would say to anybody in life, your greatest challenges are in front of you. Uh, actually, in fact, we grow to the point uh, in our life where We've grown further, and we know that the next stage of growth is the hardest. That it's going to have to overcome our super stubbornness, because we've grown in all the easy ways, right? You know what I'm talking about? You can't like grow over here. Oh yeah, uh, I'll do that. Okay, I can grow over here. But there's that one area of growth, uh, the next area of growth, whatever it is for you, that is always the hardest. It's that next thing, and that's the hardest step. It's the hardest challenge in our life. And so I think most, many of us know what that is already, but I I wonder what is that for you? I want you to start thinking about that. What is, what do you think is the next greatest challenge for you in your life? Maybe it would be going to school, saying, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go back to school. Maybe the next greatest challenge of your life would be something uh, where you would um, find yourself embarking on a new adventure. Maybe you're just going on a vacation. Some people, they just can't rest. Do you know what I'm talking about? They just, just can't stop. And so maybe their greatest, challenge will, to be, will be to sit still, to just stop, or allow themselves to experience some beautiful thing that God has in store for them. What is the next greatest challenge for you in your life? I really want you to think about that, because that's what we're pra- preparing our hearts for through this 40 days of prayer. Now, over the past few weeks, uh, as we started 40 days of prayer, we started with a story of Hannah. This beautiful leader, this woman who's a leader in the Bible, she goes and she prays that God would give her a son, give her a child when she couldn't have kids at all. She pours out her heart, uncontrollable sobbing in the temple. And the priest even at the time, Eli, says, what are you doing, woman? Are you drunk? And, and Hannah comes out of this prayer and she says, I am not drunk and I am not a worthless woman anymore. I love the way that she speaks her value. She has finally discovered that the, <laughs> that the words of worthlessness that the world has projected on her are not true, and she finds her value in God. I love that. Well, she does have a son, and she names him Samuel, which is great, which means answer to prayer. His name was answer to prayer. He had to walk around, and every time he introduced to someone, he had to tell the story of how his mom prayed that he would be born, and get, sure enough, God answered that prayer. Well, Samuel grew up in the temple. Uh, that was part of the deal that Hannah made with God. You give me a son, and I'm going to have him grow up as basically a servant to the priest, Eli, in the temple. The priest, actually, Eli, called him son. And uh, Samuel w- really grew up with Eli as the father. Well, one night, Samuel uh, heard, heard this voice in the middle of the night calling out to him. And so he ran to Eli three times, and each time Eli said what any dad would say, go back to bed, Right? <laughs> Finally, Eli said, you know what, that might be God calling out to you. At that point, when Samuel was 12 years old, he began a, d- a deep, powerful relationship. There's a transformation in his heart. Samuel <coughs> then had something told to him by God that the whole nation would fall apart. The whole nation. The, the household, Eli's household, would fall apart. Eli's children would die. Everything would fall apart, and Samuel was to speak this to Eli. Well, the reason that, uh, the, that things were falling apart was simple. It was because God hadn't been f- put first in the world. That's just, it's like a consequence. You run and jump off a cliff, what's going to happen? You're going you're to hurt yourself for sure, right? You, you don't blame God for that, do you? Do you go, oh gosh, and, you know, I ran and I jumped off the cliff. I don't know why I got hurt. No, that's called a consequence. It's, it's a sequence of events. It's negative. So that's why they put the con in the front of it, right? So, so this is what happened. God says, you know, this is, this is the natural consequence of what happens. So Samuel worked for the rest of his life to put God at the center of that nation, and, and things were restored, people were restored, families were restored, just like we want to do here in Paso. Well, Samuel had this experience where he was, uh, had, a, had like an intervention. All the elders came up to Samuel, and he said, uh, all the people that were serving on the leadership, <laughs> they came up to him and said, it's time for you to leave, your, it's your retirement day. We want a king instead of a priest. Samuel said, "This is not a good plan." God said, "Go with it. They have to go their own way. You have to let them live their life." And so Samuel let that happen. And the priest was the king was chosen because he was the tallest. His name was Saul. Right, Saul the king. Uh, That's not a good reason to choose a king, really. So he didn't turn out so well. And uh, again, uh, God said, "There's another king." So Samuel goes out and he finds this shepherd boy named David. That's where we landed last week. He finds this little shepherd boy. S- Samuel goes into this village and asks all of the people who could possibly be a king to come forward. They go through the whole list, and he says, isn't there one? And they say, oh yeah, there's that David. Nobody ever thinks much of him. He's just off in the field. He's just the youngest. No, but he can not do anything. Samuel finds David, and he pours oil all over his head, and he says, you are the king. You are the king that God has chosen. And we learned last week that, that if you feel like you're on the outside— God's anointed you, that we're going to be the church that's going to go into the town and tell every little, little David, every person that's been pushed to the side, that they are anointed for a specific purpose in life. And so today we land on the story of David, and I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of his life, because I think we all, how many people know about the story of David and Goliath? You all know that story? David and Goliath, that, that does happen. Uh, it sh- turns out that David's so small he can't wear Saul's armor, the king's armor, so he goes in there with his uh, slingshot, which people think is uh, pretty, pretty much a miraculous hit. Turns out that it may not have been as miraculous as we think uh, because David would have been a crack shot. He would have used that slingshot every single day as a shepherd to scare off little squirrels, to scare off little bunnies. Probably not bunnies. Oh, that would have been mean. But he would have scared off the bears. He would have scared off the wild animals. With that, every time, all day, what do you do as a shepherd? I mean, you twiddle your thumbs, right? You twiddle your thumbs when you're, when you're a shepherd just waiting for the sheep to eat their grass, Right? You watch grass grow, right? And then you play with your slingshot. Whack! And those slingshots would have traveled as fast as a gun, uh, as a bullet. Not a gun, but a bullet. They would have fa- traveled that fast. But nonetheless, David takes what God has given him and what he knows how to do, and he, and he whacks Goliath in the head. So, so he's anointed. The first thing here, we're going to go through the list of his life. So there's the anointing of David when he's a little boy. Then he kills Goliath, which is fantastic. But he becomes famous for killing Goliath. Then King Saul gets headaches. Okay? He doesn't know how to fix these headaches. He finds out that uh, King David, uh, little David, who, who he doesn't really know is anointed to be king, can shred on the harp. Not, it was actually the, the version, of, it was like the back then electric guitar. So he could shred on this thing, and for s- some reason, when David played the harp, he was the best in the whole nation, he, and how did he learn how to play the harp? Sitting around watching grass grow, right? With his sheep, right? Just playing the harp all day. And so this is, this is the story of David's life. All these things come together, and the king's headaches would go away whenever that happened, but the king became jealous. So what did he do? He hunted David. He started to hunt him, and even though David loves the king, and he sees the king as the father that, that he never had, because David was always shunned and pushed to the side when Jesse was asked, when David's real father, Jesse, was asked, hey, come on, bring all the people who could be king. Does Jesse choose David? No, he just has him off there. But suddenly, he, ex- he thought he was received by Saul. No, no, David's rejected by Saul and hunted by him and chased by him. Even though a lot of David's life was spent killing people. That's another part, I think, that we need to remember, uh, that he killed thousands, thousands of men, women, and children. The Bible tells us about the gory details of his life and that, that he had done things that, were, that we can hardly even imagine. You, you almost imagine like child soldiers. Have you ever heard about child soldiers in the Congo and thought, just the, the gruesomeness, the brutality of their existence. This is, this is David's life. He isn't, just, he isn't really just brought into the service of the king. He's brought into the service of a, of a terrible, um, warring machine. And he, it's not just him that kills thousands, but the armies that he leads kill hundreds of thousands of people. Da- devastating villages. And then, uh, the, then we have the, uh, the story that most of us remember, David and Bathsheba. How many know, remember this story? You really have to read it to remember the whole story. So what happens is David. Uh, David has a best friend, right? His best friend in the entire world. And when his best friend is away at war, the war that David has sent him on, uh, David seduces his best friend's wife, Bathsheba. Then she becomes pregnant, and he tries to trick his best friend into sleeping with his wife while the men are off at war, which was pr- prohibited. You never do that if you are faithful all of the other guys. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. And so he tries to trick him to th- so that he would think that that baby would be his. But his best friend's too loyal. And so he sends his best friend to be killed. I just want you to understand the depth of, the de- of where David went in his life. Because I think a lot of times we can paint, over- paint this picture of his life being great. It really wasn't that great. Uh, and then it says, uh, l- when later on, David's son Amnon, he raped David's daughter. Okay? Then, after that happened, his other son, Absalom, was so angry, this is the next one, his other Absalom was so angry that he couldn't deal with it for years and years, so he ended up going and killing David's other son, Amnon. Are you starting to develop the picture of a human being that has, I mean, if, you, if you're walking in here today saying, I don't think I can find anyone in the Bible who has more brokenness than me, right? And then you encounter David, who everybody says, "Ah." Oh, what a great life he lived. I, I personally, I don't want to live that one. That's not one I would choose. And, then, um, and then, it, then, it, then it turns out that Absalom hates his father, David, even though David loves his son, probably in the way that he wishes that his father, Jesse, had loved him. Absalom hates his father so much that he tries to kill his father, and he tries to take the kingdom. And then there's this scripture that's so beautiful in the book of Samuel. And I don't know if you remember reading this when you were going through scripture, but it's so pretty. It's in 2 Samuel 15, 30. It says, this is as David is. is fleeing from Jerusalem. Absalom is hunting David down, trying to kill him, right? And so they have to leave as fast as they can. It says these words, but David, his head covered, walked barefoot up the slope of Mount of Olives, crying, Can you imagine that moment? David walked barefoot up the slope of the Mount of Olives, crying. All the people who were with him covered their heads too, and they cried as they went up on the Mount of Olives. At the top of the Mount of Olives, there's a servant of someone he rescued. David did. And he's waiting there with two donkeys that have bread on top of them. They have raisins. Who wouldn't want raisins? You can make raisin bread, right? Raisins and bread and fruit and nuts and honey and everything that you could want. hundred loaves of bread. More than that. So much food. These poor donkeys, right? They just had so much food on top of them. And David has got to have this experience that God is providing for him. That God is there for him, that God has everything that he needs. He must be looking back on his life and thinking, wow, you know, yeah, I did know that I was a good shot and that I could kill Goliath with my single stone, but I did have a millisecond and I could have missed, but God provided. In fact, God is the one who prepared him, that that put him in the place, that gave him that skill. And David must have been thinking, you know, when God— God was working in my life every single day all all throughout my life. God was always providing. God was always providing even when the things were at the darkest places in life. God was always there giving and giving and giving. God provides. I I want you to start to think about not just David's life and how God has provided but about your life. And now I want to read a prayer that David wrote. He wrote 75 prayers and songs in the book of Psalms. But this is the most famous one called the 23rd Psalm. And he wrote this. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? Written from a shepherd boy. Kid who, that's, that was his primary identity for the rest of his life. Probably all of the ways that he led in his life was probably like a shepherd, right? That's where God really taught him not just how to shoot with a slingshot, not just, not just how to play a harp, but probably everything else. He, he, he probably always led like a shepherd. But David said, God is, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Another translation says, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. How has God provided for you in your life? Can you think of ways that God has done these beautiful divine setups for you? Where you thought, hey, you know what? Losing that job was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And then you find out, wow, I could just really see how God's hand was at work in my life. Or you just thought, you know what? I, I, I just can't imagine, like, how, how all of these useless skills I, I, I learned while I was, you know, personally—this uh, is, this is me— uh, serving as a barista at Starbucks for a year and a half, right? I just thought, wasn't there something more for me? God was training me to be a servant. He was training me to training to be a part of the team. Tra- training me to live in utter chaos. <laughs> Looks like it's organized, but it's not. It's chaos. And thus, Highlands was born. (laughs) A beautiful system of people that work in utter chaos, and they work beautifully, and they serve others, and it works great! (laughs) Just to rest in that. Everything's going to be okay. All the ways. What are the ways that God has has provided for you in your life? What What are the things? that God has given you, so that you can actually say yes and amen. This is what, this is what uh, David says. He says, God lets me rest in the grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. Now, every other translation I read of this has the words, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So it's not just a let, it's it's a, it's a, it's a let from the divine creator of the universe, okay? When God lets you do something, and it's God saying, I'm letting you do this, you kind of say, okay, God, I will do that. I, I, the other day I remember coming home uh, from work and my daughter Ella is such a servant and so she, she, I put my feet up on the table and she starts to untie my shoes and she starts to take off my shoes and it just felt so good. It was such a simple thing to do in someone's life. But it was her saying, hey dad, you need, you need, to, you need to just get grounded a little bit. You need to be brought down and, 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 and let go. And rest. It's so beautiful. God, good. God does bring good things into our life. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He makes us stop, or lets us stop. You know, isn't that a beautiful dichotomy? You almost want both words, don't you? You don't want to just settle on the makes because it seems so tough. And it doesn't seem like when someone makes you do something that it's out of a place of love. So you can tell—you can see where the translators were having that difficulty trying to figure out what word to use, let or make. But it's both. See, so God provides for us. Now, I love that scripture—what uh, is—this is just kind of a quiz. This is kind of fun quiz. Uh, before we put the scripture up there, I want to ask you, what is the first thing that God says to Moses? Now don't—if you don't say anything, don't worry about it, because there's like 100,000 people in this room, okay? So um, whoever's watching online says, what? That's a really big church. I did not know that. So there's 100,000 people in this room, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I want to ask you, does anybody remember what the first thing that God says to Moses? Anybody remember? Here it is. Don't come any closer— Take off your sandals. Take off your shoes. How beautiful is that? And God says, don't take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. I believe that it's so important for us to take off our shoes, to be the people that, that find ourselves uh, deconstructing all of, this, all of these, this busy life that we've provided. Really, by taking off your shoes, you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to stay here for a little while. I'm not moving on. I mean, shoes were then as close to having a car. That's how you were going to get out of there. That was, your, that was your safety. That was how you're going to flee. But I was just, I was just, um, the other day, I, I, the funniest thing happened. Does your phone do strange things sometimes? My phone does Did something strange. I, this little reminder popped up. I have these little annoying little reminders that popped up on my phone, and this is one of the reminders that popped up. Now, do you notice how long that reminder's been popping up on my phone? I'd, I'd, for, for all those days, I was just like, you know, whatever. You know, just, just skip over it. It's something, it's nothing I need to deal with. Because I used to use the phone for my to-do list, but I don't use it anymore. So, so there's these old reminders I don't know how to get rid of. But I'd never really think much of it. I just, oh, okay, whatever. It's just one of those dumb reminders that I don't use anymore. I love that. That's 2,002 days ago. Today it's 2,003 days. I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. <laughs> Every single day, so every single day for 2,002 days for five years, right, that reminder's been popping up, and I've ignored it. Every single day, whatever, and it just become kind of like, you know, part of the pattern of life. You know, I'll turn that off, turn that off, turn that off, turn that off, turn that off. off. No problem, whatever, there it is. I'm looking for the important stuff of life. You know that God is placing reminders in your life to take off your shoes every single day, not just once a day? What a hundred times a day? Five hundred times a day? God is saying the same thing to you that God said to Moses. God is saying, I'm gonna make you lie down and grieve. I'm letting you lie. This is love. You need to receive it. God is saying, These are the green pastures, receive it, come, enjoy. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Yeah, there's such a there's such a thing I almost thought about taking off my shoes while preaching. I thought, that's just too crazy, right? <laughs> Right, It is, yeah. And Gary's like, don't do it. People won't come back. It's not going to smell. You'll just see that I have these multicolored socks. They're called crazy socks right here. See those bad boys? That's, that's right there. That's, 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 how you, that's how you do it right there. My brother-in-law who works in San Francisco says, when you deliver someone's sa- tough news in a staff meeting, you just lift up your leg and just do that. And then they go, oh, okay, he's a nice guy, whatever. I've never had to deliver any tough news in a staff meeting. So... Um, <laughs> The other day I was thinking about, how do I encounter this message? I was like, preparing the message in, the, um, in my office downstairs where I write these messages. And I thought, okay, I'll, what I'll do is I'll take off my shoes and I'm going to— uh, this sounds fantastic—I'm going to walk along the path, right? I'm just going to enjoy this little beautiful path behind. I'm going to feel the ground. Radical, radical thing to do. And then I thought, nope, can't do it. It's against the, it's against the ways of the world. You can't experience the world in that way. That's not, that's not part of how the way, w- world works. Sure enough, my friend Smokey, who works for the Paso PD, is going to get a call. I see Pastor Baird, and he's walking without any shoes on the path. You better go get him. Better save him before he does anything too crazy. You see, God is inviting us into that life. There was a there was someone who led worship uh, a couple of years ago, and she would always take off her shoes. She would always lead, her worsh- lead worship with her shoes off. It was fantastic. I don't want you guys all leading worship with your shoes off. I'm just saying that that was her, her response. And, and I think that we would miss the point if we were to take it only literally, to, to, to take all of what God is saying and boil it down to just taking our shoes off. That's, that's where Jesus would say, you're missing the point. You're becoming legalistic. You're starting to, you're, you're, you're very narrow-minded. And in fact, Jesus is saying, what you need to do is you need to stop. You need to rest. You need to experience the earth. You need to realize God has created creation for you to have the grass between your toes. Yesterday, I was at the beach by the way, it doesn't go unnoticed, Linda Dowling said, I was going for a hike, I looked down over San Simeon, and I think I saw you at the beach. Okay, so remember, you're always in public in Paso, right? <laughs> but I was at the beach with my kids, and they were out there, and I was sitting in my little chair watching this, this celebration, and I was having fun watching it, because sometimes I just felt God was asking me to rest. And they were playing in the waves, jumping up and down with their friends that came up to visit from uh, down south, and and uh, and there was this prompting in my heart that said, you got to take off your shirt and put on your swimsuit and you need to jump in the water and you need to go play with those kids. And I believe that is from God. I do believe that's God saying, take off your shoes, experience the earth. Don't look at the ocean, experience the ocean, feel the ocean. Don't just look at the path, feel the path. Don't just, don't, don't just, don't just live this life where you're separated from all that God wants you to receive in life, but actually receive it. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He has the green pastures for you, and he's reminding you, and each one of us keeps turning off the reminder every single day, and we've gotten so used to turning off the reminder that, that we don't even see the reminders anymore because we're so used to just ignoring them. Okay, whatever, 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 whatever. And God says, no, look at this tree, look at this stream, look at these people, look at these relationships and these opportunities to, to the person who's who's checking you out of this, not checking you out of the store, but you know, checking you out of the store. That too! That's the person that you can redeem. But be careful. Both of them. The person who's checking you out and checking you out. Those are relationships. Those are opportunities. Those are, those are people who are saying, okay, well, never mind. That didn't work so well. <laughs> That's called an eternal evangelist in my heart. <laughs> the scripture goes on to say these words. This is David. Remember all the things that he experienced in his life. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. This is a guide. There's a big difference between shepherds and sheep herders. You know, sheep herders is what we have today. You know what, how they get the sheep down the road? They get on ATVs and they scare the snot out of them. They just like, just scare them down the path. That's not what, that's not what a shepherd does. Shepherd guides. The sheep follow the shepherd. The sheep love the shepherd's voice. You follow the shepherd down that path. That's what David's is talking about. He says, I love you, Lord. You guide me down great paths. Proper paths for the sake of his good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are, what is those words? With me. You're with me. See, God is with you. It may be the simplest declaration that you can make. When you're praying someday, I encourage you to just start with articulating what you know to be true about God. And maybe the only thing that you know to be true and the, the thing that you're so scared about articulating because when you say it, on, on one level it feels crazy, on another level it, it's dangerous. But you say, in your own private life or with someone else, God is with me, or God, you are with me. Start there. Start with what you know to be true about God. And then move to the next piece and say, if you, can, if you can go that far, God, you have been with me. You have provided. You have given me everything that I need. Then the next step, can you say more? God, you will be with me. You will take me forward. You will watch me when I'm going through the dark valleys of life. You will be with me. That's that's what David is saying. He's saying, God, God, you have been with me, you've provided, and you will be with me even when the things are the darkest and things are the hardest in this life. You know what Jesus says when he, he has been re- resurrected, he's already been crucified, and he came back to life again, and he appeared to his disciples after the disciples had seen the cruelty of the world, the dangerousness of the world, the, the harshness of the world, how violent the world was, and how much the world wanted to destroy life and love and any expression of goodness. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the disciples must have been thinking that, hey, by the way, I'm not really encouraged by what just happened to you when you tried to make disciples of all nations. But Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, he would have been pointing to himself, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then Jesus says, look, I myself will be what? With you every day until the end of this present age. Jesus is with you. David says, I have no fear anymore. I'm not afraid of death. Can you imagine an army of people who are not afraid of death and their principal weapon is love? Go ahead. Try to take that one down. You can't. There's no winning. Never. People will just get tired of fighting against it. And just ultimately give up and say, yes and amen. <laughs> it's the grace of God. David goes on to say, your rod and your staff, they protect me. These are the two principles. The rod was to whack the sh- whack the enemies, the, the bears or whatever else on the, sh- on the head, to whack them on the head and get them to go away. Um, and your staff, that is, that, is the, that is the beautiful thing to guide forward, to kind of part the bushes and allow the sheep to move forward and get, get away. They protect me. You set a table right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full, it spills over. Wait a second, David had a lot of life to be looking back on and to say, oh, you know what? He could have said, oh, what about that time when my son tried to kill me and, and that time when, you know, I had to do all these terrible things and I was basically brought into this army of blood and murder and, and I, I thought that I was supposed to be experiencing a life of peace and joy and love. No, that's not what David says. David focuses on the truth of who God is in the midst of all of the darkness. David says he's seen light and he knows darkness and he knows the difference and he knows that God is good and that darkness is not of God so he's the greatest evangelist because of the life he's lived his stories his songs are powerful his prayers are beautiful because you know a lot of people say you know I can't pray because I'm too broken I say that's the best reason to pray they say I don't have the words to pray oh really you don't have a story to tell because your prayer is your story because it's a declaration of who you know God to be. It's your yes, it's your amen. You see, this is the protection and the perfection. God is going to protect you. And the perfection, I love the oil that David talks about. Not just the anointing oil, but do you know what oil was used by a shepherd for? Oil was used for healing. It was like, it was like, um, what are some, well, uh, what is the name, Neosporin, right? He was like, you, 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 you take care of my wounds with Neosporin. You fight off the enemies. You fight off the enemies. You actually prepare a table. You make me feast in front of my enemies, and then you take care of my wounds with Neosporin. Isn't that a beautiful articulation of who God is? And then finally David says, yes, goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I love, uh, as long as I live, right? Right? as long as I live isn't actually the totality of what the Hebrew scripture says. There's this little or lemmeth at the end of the scripture. It's just a little L, and it says that at the end of it, you're supposed to take the words, as long as I live, and you're supposed to repeat them infinitely. So actually, the proper way to read that would be, yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. 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 As long as I live as long as I live, as long as I live. And just like a song, have you ever, some people say, oh my goodness, these modern worship songs just repeat things over and over again. Well, we're just copying the Hebrew worship song. so there. <laughs> they may not be like the stuff you sang in the 1950s, but that's what they sang, you know, 3,000 years ago, so whatever. Anyway, pursued by goodness, pursued by goodness. You're pursued by goodness and faithful love. This is the last thing I'll leave, with, leave you with. Goodness is the word, the word word goodness that's used there in Hebrew is the word tov. And that's what it looks like in Hebrew. And what it is, is it's the words that were spoken over creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, God said, it is tov. When God created the birds and the fish of the sea, God said, it is tov. When God created human beings, God said, it is very tov. There's no real way to explain what tov means other than to reflect on the creation of the universe. If you want to understand what tov is, you don't find the word good, you actually go and say, wow, look at this, tov. Look out the windows, look at the trees, look at the birds, look at the sky, tov. And that is what God pursues you with every single day, and he wants you to take off your shoes and to receive the tov. And then I love the next word, faithful love. Faithful love. Sorry, I don't get into this Hebrew stuff very much, but it's pretty amazing when you get into it sometimes. The next word, faithful love, um, and it's just... Like, I can do this, and it will go to the next. Let's see. Try it again. Ah, There we go. It works sometimes. (laughs) That microchip I planted in my hand is finally working. Okay. (laughs) Faithful love. And the word there for faithful love is hasad, or hasad, right? Faithful love is hasad. You know what hasad means? Hug. We translate it in the Greek as mercy, but I love that the, the Hebrew word for mercy is hasad, and it means hug. God pursues you with tov, and with a hug. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the tov and the chassad. We thank you that you are with us, that you will chase us down, and that you have given us this experience of a cup that overflows by the power of your Holy Spirit. Even in the darkest valleys, even when our tummies are hungry, even when our bank accounts are empty. There's an overflow in our life because of your spirit, God. We are so thankful. We are so thankful for what we have in you. We pray that our prayer life would be deepened as we reflect on your goodness and that we would be prepared for the great challenges ahead. And know that, that you, you are not calling the equipped. You're equipping the called. You are the God that brings people who don't have it all together and you show us that you've always been preparing us and you've always given us everything we need. So we, got, we pray that we would rest in that and we would preach it and we'd proclaim it and we would all week this week find our life to be a prayer and a response to your voice. Not ignoring the reminders. Not ignoring the reminders to take off our shoes and to lie down in green pastures and to, to experience still waters in our life but instead to receive and and accept what you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand. Let us respond to God with what we have, whatever it is. Just take what you have and respond to God and say, God, this is what I put forward, my time, my talent, my energy, my my love, my money, whatever else it is. And as those plates go forward, find yourself also uh, professing God is with you. Say, God is with me as that plate comes by. Let's, Let's continue to worship God. To my rescue and I I wanna